Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, January 30th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film writers Huaytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. That is right. He is back. Uh, all the Sundance crew is back from Sundance. And later this week, we'll all gather in a room and discuss the best things that you guys saw at Sundance. Um, so none of that for now. But uh, Chris, how was your Sundance? Uh, it was good. I had a really good time. I enjoyed uh, doing it. It was fun. It was, a, it was a fun old time at the movies. How does it compare to like the Toronto International Film Festival? I think I like TIFF just like a little bit more because I said this before, but I like sort of knowing what I'm getting into. Whereas with Sundance, everything is like a crapshoot. And, you know, that can be fun on some levels, but I like the, I guess you could call it stability of TIFF. But other than that, I had a really good time. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about that later this week. Uh, Before we get into the news, there's a couple things that are on the site today that I wanted to plug. Uh, Fred Tupel has an interview with Rawson Marshall Thurber about uh, Ryan Hansen's uh, solves crimes on television season two uh which is worth reading if you're you're watching that show jack drew has a great interview with uh james badge dale uh, and he shares uh, stories about working with Michael Bay, some some hilarious stuff, actually. Uh, Martin Scorsese and more. So uh, you might want to check that out if you're you're a fan of Michael Bay stories. I would check that out for sure. And uh, Stephen uh, Procopi uh, has an interview w- uh, with the, the costume designer from Black Panther. Ruth Carter, uh, talking about how uh, her third Oscar nomination and how the, the the lengths that she went into in making those costumes not look like costumes. And, of course, we have uh, the last of our Sundance reviews. So all of that is linked in the show notes. If you want to check that out, they're, they're, it's all good stuff. Uh, but let's get into the news. And before uh, we, we dig deep... We should uh, touch on this uh, this news item that I think would be of interest to Slash Film Daily listeners, and that is that uh, Flarsky, one of the films that made our most anticipated movies of the year list, with uh, to uh, Chris's dismay, 
has uh, gotten a new title, and that new title is Long Shot. So, Chris, I need to get the official um, the, the the official word from you. Is is Long Shot a better title than than Flarsky? No, uh, it's not. <laughs> Flarsky isn't a good title, but Long Shot is really boring. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. You could have done better here, or like I've said at the beginning, you could just cancel this movie entirely and never release it. <sighs> The movie sounds good, though. And what I know it's the best doesn't. movie of the year, Chris. I will, I will refuse to admit that. I will lie <laughs> if that's the case. But HT, what do you think? What, what was the better title, Farsky or Longshot? Honestly, Farsky because it's just more memorable and punchy, and obviously it incurred the wrath of Chris. So Longshot just. Yeah, I don't really – I feel like it does sound kind of political, which is what this movie is going for, but it is very generic, so I yeah. don't think it's great. Well, it, it is at least representative of – it's going to be a long shot if Chris likes this movie, right? Ha. <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on to our real news for today. and that, We have a bit of news about the Batman, the uh, Matt Reeves-directed uh, Batman movie. Chris, you wrote about this for the say. What, what do we know about Matt Reeves' Batman film? Yeah, so Matt Reeves has been working on this standalone Batman movie for a while now. In fact, the, the movie itself has been in development since at least 2015, when at the time Ben Affleck, who you know was the new Batman, was supposed to write and direct it. And eventually he left at least the director's chair. And while it's not been confirmed yet, we're all pretty sure – He's not going to be Batman himself anymore. Uh, in the meantime, Matt Reeves has been developing the film, and he's been a bit cagey about what it's going to be and what he's going for. But in a new interview, he he's given uh, maybe the most detail so far in that uh, he, he says it's going to be uh, very much inspired by uh, film noir. It's going to very much play up the detective angle of Batman because, you know, in the comics, Batman is quote unquote, the world's greatest detective, but we haven't really seen that in the movies. I mean, in some of Christopher Nolan's Batman films, he does do a little uh, detective work, but based on what Matt Reeves is saying, it's going to be like a full blown detective movie with Batman, which, which is definitely different that we haven't seen before. And he also says that there's going to be a rogues gallery in the film, which suggests there's going to be more than one villain. He doesn't say, you know, who's going to be in it, but the fact that he points out, you know, he says, quote unquote, there, there will be a rogues gallery more or less confirms that, you know, you can expect to see uh, several of Batman's iconic villains in this film in some capacity uh and he also plays up the fact that you know the warner brothers movies are now they're taking a step back from the whole shared universe idea and they're they're being they're very much their own thing so he says you know the todd phillips joker movie is very much its own thing the birds of prey movie with margot robbie is very much their own thing and this batman movie is very much its own thing so you you probably shouldn't he doesn't say this but you it seems like he's implying that you shouldn't expect uh, much crossover here with those other Warner Brother movies in development. Yeah. Does he mention Ben Affleck at all? No, that does not come up. But like I said, exactly, I, I think it, Chris, it's, exactly. It's, yes, it's, it's pretty much a done deal. I think at this point that Ben Affleck will not be in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, first of all, having a rogues gallery in a movie kind of scares me because in the past, having a lot of villains in a movie has not worked out well for for comic book movies. Um, but I do have trust in Matt Reeves and, but hearing this description, it almost reminds me of, there was this mini series, uh, a few years, probably like 15 years ago, uh, called Batman Hush. Chris, did you read this one? 
Uh, yes, I did read that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was written by I think like Jeff Loeb, and it was uh, it, drawn by Jim Lee. I don't know who inked it uh, or colored it, but um, Jim Lee's art is just incredible. Uh, and Jim Lee is overseeing the the DC universe right now in the movies, so uh, there's a connection there. Uh, the um, th- that comic book series kind of fi- uh, de- like had there was like this mysterious stalker named hush who kept on like sabotaging batman from afar and it was about batman kind of like going on this uh hunt this kind of like uh trying to solve this mystery of who is hush and it one of the cool things about this comic book was that it kind of featured like all the batman villains like it like every issue felt like it it featured a bunch of them and it, it for fans it was it was kind of cool and it also um uh explored the romantic potential between Batman and Catwoman. And um, I'm, I'm not sure if this is something Matt, Matt Reeves would do. Although I feel like this is more of like kind of like the like a graphic novel that is good in, in comic form. I don't think it would translate to movie. It's not a great story, but it's fun. And the art by Jim Lee is incredible. Do, do, do you think there's any chance that this could be Hush? Uh, I don't think so, but you never, I mean, I could see it drawing some inspiration from it, like in the ways that Batman Begins drew on Batman Year One without being a straight Batman Year One adaptation. But I really don't think they'll add like Hush as a character because that character is kind of dull. And it's really obvious who he is when you read the book, even though it's a mystery. It's like they introduce a new guy at the beginning of the comic. And then it's like, well, obviously that guy is Hush because he's a new character. (laughs) So, yeah. It's it's a fun roller coaster ride, uh, yeah. but there's not really much depth to it. Is the thing uh, I think I'm trying to say. Um, let's move on to our next, our next story. Uh, let's talk about uh, Lisa Joy, who is one of the showrunners of Westworld. She's uh, married to Jonathan uh, Nolan, uh, the the brother of Christopher Nolan, and they run Westworld. And sh- she's directed episodes of Westworld, which have been incredible. And she's going to be making her feature film uh, directorial debut with it with a new uh, sci-fi thriller. HD, tell us about it. So Lisa Joy is writing and set to direct uh, a sci-fi thriller called Reminiscence, which is currently in talks with Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson to star. And this will mark Joy's uh, feature directorial debut, as you said. And it's uh, this ambitious sort of sci-fi thriller slash romance, which is set in a near future world uh, where technology has enabled people to recapture or relive their memories. And uh, Hugh Jackman is set to, is in talks to play the lead, a PI who, um, Whose client, who for his clients he t- recaptures their memories or tries to um, find their memories of some sort. And Rebecca Ferguson is one of his clients who vexes and uh, intrigues him, and they end up falling in love before she mysteriously vanishes. I'm very excited about this because you know Lisa Joy seems like a very smart woman. Number one, number two, she has shown that she has the the chops to direct good good stuff. She she directed an episode of I think Westworld season 2 called Riddle of the Sphinx the Sphinx. Um and I remember that being one of the best episodes of that season of I think Vulture ca- called it the best episode of that season. Uh I think she's very talented. I think if you watch behind the scenes interviews with her and Jonathan Nolan, it's very clear that she's like 
the brains of the operation. Like, <laughs> yeah. He just sort of sits there very quietly as she talks about everything and sounds very intelligent. So uh, I don't want to, you know, undersell Jonathan Nolan, you know, because he's written things I, I've really liked. But it's, it's clear when it comes to this show, she's sort of um, taking the lead. Yeah. And this seems like a, pro- a passion project for her as well, because she wrote this script a few years ago and it made the blacklist several years ago. And uh, she is set to, again, write and direct it. Um, and uh, bring it to in front of studios for uh, to view later um, or the deal rather. And uh, it will it has not yet been picked up, but it will probably be um, in a bidding situation, especially with Hugh Jackman, and Re- Rebecca Ferguson attached. For sure. Let's get to a bunch uh, a bit of news that hit after we recorded the podcast yesterday, and that is that Zack Snyder is going to be making another movie, which is kind of. Uh, interesting in itself because he's kind of in director's jail at this point. Uh, But he's making the movie for Netflix, not Warner Brothers. So he's leaving his home at Warner Brothers, making a film for Netflix, uh, where he's going to get probably complete creative control. Chris, tell us about this film. Uh, The film is called Army of the Dead, and it's a heist movie, but it's a heist movie set during a zombie apocalypse or a zombie outbreak. So uh, there's a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, and uh, a guy assembles a team of mercenaries to help him go pull off this heist. So I guess it's sort of like Ocean's Eleven, but with zombies. Uh, And like you said, it's going to be on Netflix and you know, it might turn out really well because Zack Snyder, even though I haven't liked anything he's made in a while, I am a really big fan of his Dawn of the Dead remake. And that, of course, is a zombie movie. So it sounds like this is him sort of returning to that. And if he can sort of recreate what he did there, I, I might actually enjoy this. I've been reporting on this movie for over 10 years. Uh, originally, Zack Snyder came up with the story and I, I forget someone else was going to direct it. I don't remember who, uh, but, um, you know, now he, you know, he's taking on this on this, this story that he created. Uh, I think he co-wrote the script and I, he, he says in this interview with Hollywood reporter, there are no handcuffs on me at all on with this one. It will be the most kick-ass self-aware, but not in a wink, uh, to the the camera way balls to the wall zombie freak show that anyone can ever uh, has ever seen no one's ever let me completely loose like this now hg does that excite you or scare you (laughs) (laughs) um more of the latter although i admit i have not seen his uh dawn of the dead i oh that's his best movie i know i haven't seen i've only seen the earliest film I think I've seen of his was 300 and uh, which was surprisingly good. Uh, And then like they progressively got kind of worse and bogged down by his uh, directorial flares. But um, I do see why people admire him as a director. And I feel like he would probably excel in this kind of uh, genre. So maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I don't really have any expectations for it, but I'm willing to be proven wrong. See, I feel like, I don't know. I like Zack Snyder. I I don't love his films. He's been very good at faithfully adapting other people's stories to the big screen, like, you know, 300, Watchmen, those kind of things. And really the only thing that he has done that has been kind of original uh from his own idea was like sucker punch and even then that was 
very it was like castrated by the studio like you you can see a director's cut or like a extended cut which i don't even think is the director's cut because if you read the script it's like a whole lot different um i i, I will say this and i think i've said this on the podcast in the past if you look at any of his extended cuts or director's cuts on dvd or blu-ray they're always better than the studio cut by far uh so i'm interested to see what he does Without those handcuffs, as he says, and uh, you know what what that actually is going to be. But I, I do think the the concept of a zombie film in Las Vegas could be interesting. I don't uh, now, Chris. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I mean, you have seen a lot of horror films, a lot of zombie films. Has there ever been a zombie film that t- took place in like a casino? I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I feel like there has to be something like that. But off the top of my head, I don't remember anything like that. Yeah. Does that does that concept interest you at all? Uh, I don't. I mean, I'm not like <laughs> I'm not like a huge casino Las Vegas guy, so that I don't. But it, it definitely it sounds different. I guess it depends on how he does it. If it's gonna be a lot of like on the nose shit, where it's like. Oh, the zombie pulls the slot machine and a bunch of change falls out and the zombie doesn't know what to do with it. Like, I, I don't want to <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just picturing scenes like that where like the, the, the thieves are running through the casino and they'll be like, the zombies are playing craps, but they're throwing like eyeballs instead of dice. Like, I don't like, don't do that. I don't Please. think it's going to be that. I hope it's not that. <laughs> I mean, the thing that excites me about Vegas is there's a lot of like, you know, these confined spaces of like the casinos and interesting venues that you could maybe do interesting things with zombies that have not been done before. And and obviously you could also take the people, you know, all those horrible tourists that go to Vegas <laughs> and you can make them the zombies. I feel like there's there's something you could maybe do that's like insightful there. I'm not sure if I expect Zack Snatter to be, be the one to do that. Well, I just I just Googled this, and there actually is a 2011 film called Remains, which is actually based on a comic book by Steve Niles, which is about uh, people trapped in a casino with zombies outside. So there has been something like this before, but no one has seen it. So <laughs> there you have it. I feel like you need to add that to your watch list. Yeah, need, I'll, have to, to I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it yeah. stars it stars Michael Hughes, who is the kid from Pet Cemetery, the original Pet Cemetery. That's what's <laughs> made for you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and and how do you top a news story about Zack Snyder doing a zombie movie in Vegas? You top it with uh, news of a live action Hot Wheels movie. HD, what is going on here? Warner Brothers has announced it is partnering with Mattel to develop a live-action Hot Wheels movie. Uh, it's finally making its way toward the finish line, as you might say, <laughs> um, after years and years of um, li- uh, legendary attempting to um, make this film and bring it to the big screen. Uh, they have been trying to make a, a Hot Wheels adaptation for nearly a decade and uh, most recently had... Uh, tapped Justin Lin to helm the film back in 2016. But the rights expired with Legendary and it went back to Mattel, which uh, is making its second partnership with Warner Brothers after the Barbie movie starring Margot Robbie um, and Mattel. And the Hot Wheels live action film will be that that collaboration. Do, do we know anything about this take? Like, what is the Hot Wheels movie? We have no idea. Just that it is happening and that Mattel is currently using it to try to boost their uh, new founded um, studio, Mattel Studios. 
Now, I feel like there's two ways you could go about this. There's a way that it could be like a Fast and the Furious kind of copy where it's about, you know, racing, you know, cool looking cars around cities and uh, exotic locations. Or it could be actually about these small Hot Wheel cars as if it's like Toy Story in our world where they're like on some kind of adventure. Like, which would you be more interested in seeing? (laughs) I would probably be more interested in the latter because yeah. we already have Fast and Furious to uh, take that sort of that first type. And um, I mean, it would the latter would probably fall a little bit too similarly to Cars, uh, the other Pixar film about talking cars that kind of has some terrifying implications for the world at large but yeah, yeah but these would be tiny cars HD. these would be tiny cars and that's cute and fun the, that may not appeal to the demographic that they're trying to shoot for which is just like young boys who want to crash cars in, into each other so i don't know um i could see the latter more like or even something that's akin to the transformers franchise and um just with cars yeah i'm saying this now if if this movie does not have those like those orange or yellow like roadways that you could build into loops and stuff then i'm not seeing it (laughs) uh chris do you have any interest in a hot wheels movie absolutely not please don't make this did did you play with hot wheels as a kid we need to know i'm sure i had a few but I'm sure I had like a hearse if they had that. I'd probably have been like, get me the get me the hearse. But other than that, I don't I wasn't that big into them. I'm sure they sold like the Munsters car, which was which was a hearse, right? I think. Yeah, well it was it was the Dragula. So yeah, I'm sure yeah. they did sell that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's talk about Jordan Peel. Something more up your alley, Chris. Uh you know, when they revealed the trailer for us, I admittedly was kind of surprised that it didn't seem to have like the interesting hook that I expected from Jordan Peele. Uh, but he's been out doing press and he's been giving us a little bit more insight into, you know, why he chose the story and where it came from. So uh, what do we know about us? Uh, so Jordan Peele, as we all know, is uh, leading the new Twilight Zone reboot for CBS All Access. And uh, apparently the, the Twilight Zone in- influence on his work extends beyond that because he also told Rolling Stone that Us, his new movie, is also inspired by the Twilight Zone. Uh, it's specifically inspired by this episode called Mirror Image, which was an episode of the first season of the Twilight Zone. And in that episode, there's this woman and she's in a bus depot and it's late at night and she starts becoming convinced that her doppelganger is somewhere in the bus depot because people keep telling her they saw her doing stuff she has no memory of doing they'll be like oh you left your suitcase here and she's like no i didn't what are you talking about so there people in the bus depot keep claiming they've seen her doing stuff she knows for a fact she hasn't done so this makes her believe there's someone here who looks exactly like me. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's true. But they all think she's crazy. <laughs> and, and the episode ends with them, like, hauling her away to the loony bin. Like, get this crazy woman out of here. And then, of course, at the last minute, you learn that she was right. And <laughs> no one listened to her. So uh, that's what Us is partially inspired by. Obviously, if you watch the trailer to Us, there's a lot more going on than what was going on in this Twilight Zone episode. But it seems like that was the, the launching point for the movie. Um, does knowing this make you more excited about this film? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm already pretty excited about this film. Uh, I love, you know, the twilight zone as a show. I love that 
uh, Jordan Peele seems to be really invested in the Twilight Zone. Like, not only is he doing the reboot, he's he's drawing on it for his film. So, yeah, uh, this this makes me more excited. Yeah. Um, also, I, I think Jordan Peele was talking about uh, what sets us apart from Get Out. Uh, H.G., I know you didn't write this up, but what what did he say? Um, he talked about how for Get Out, it was specifically a commentary about race. But us, he says, and I quote, I can't say it's not specifically about race, but I don't want to go too deep into his meaning because it's there for everyone to discover on their own. And he goes on to talk about how this is a film that's about a black family, a horror film about a black family. And um, that that's something that he has never really seen as far as he can remember. And that was something that was important for him to do. Um, and so he says, there's a presumption in the industry that if black people are the leads in a film, it has to be about, in some way about race. And he wanted to push past that with us. And while, so he kind of, you know, dances around whether this is about race or not, because the race of the, of the family at the center is uh, obviously important to him and the story, but he doesn't want to go so far as to say it's about race as much as Get Out was. It is weird because he kind of says it is about race, and then he goes back and is like, not everything has to be about race. Yeah. So um, I feel like there's something he like that we just don't know about this film yet. I think um, he is holding some secret close to his chest, so we will probably find out once this film hits theaters. Chris, is he wrong? Is there other horror movies about black families? Uh, yeah, I mean, they are. They do exist, obviously. They're definitely not as prevalent as, you know, horror movies yeah. about white people, just because that's, you know, what Hollywood has always done, because they, they, they don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say they, they don't care, but for yeah. a long time, they were just like, you know, in their own bubble. But yeah, this will definitely be one of the most mainstream or most you know, in the spotlight films about, you know, horror films about a black family that isn't explicitly about race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on to our final story. And th- th- this is something when it hit yesterday, we were in our Slack channel being like, this can't be true. And it, it f- finally came to the realization that it is true. So someone put together the numbers and found out that Netflix right now has more certified fresh movies, according to Rotten Tomatoes, than any than, than all of the other streaming services combined issue tell us the numbers so this should this is important to note that this is not netflix original movies this is all the movies that are available in netflix's catalog um and of those movies 596 movies are certified fresh out of 3839 in Netflix and that is more movies than the 232 on Amazon Prime the 223 for Hulu and the 38 for HBO Go slash now and uh, this is pretty remarkable because uh, Prime Video has about four times the amount of available movies to stream 17,461 to be exact um, and that makes Netflix just a overall yeah. like much more impressive in terms of its certified fresh films. So so according to this, you get a, a lot more variety of movies on like a service like Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Four times as many movies. But on Netflix, if you just, you know, randomly hit the like, you know, through those tiles on the screen and you hit play on one of the movies, you would have a lot better chance of hitting a you know, a movie that was well re- or yeah, well reviewed by critics, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
Chris, I know you cover the streaming services for us uh, in a column on the sites. Is this surprising to you? It is a little bit because when I, you know, obviously Netflix has some great stuff, especially uh, in 2018 where they had Roma and uh, a few other things. But usually when I think Netflix movie, I think, boy, junk, but apparently not. Apparently they're they're better than I give them credit for being. I feel like I don't go to Netflix to look at movies from other studios anymore. I I feel like nowadays I go to Netflix for the Netflix originals. And I don't even yeah. know what they have on there in terms of like a catalog from other studios. Yeah, take it from someone who uh, writes two different streaming columns for SlashFilm.com. It's becoming increasingly difficult to find, quote unquote, older stuff to recommend on Netflix. Because more and more, every month, Netflix phases out other people's content to just make room for their own. So, you know, I know everyone has Netflix. I know Netflix is sort of like the gold standard when it comes to streaming, but more and more I'm finding like Hulu and Amazon prime are the places you really want to go. If you want to find other people's movies, whereas Netflix is slowly turning into 100% Netflix. And Netflix's selection of movies has been shrinking for a while now too. Um, back in 2010, they had about 6,755 movies available to, available to stream but now that's halves basically yeah uh, something else that kind of surprised me here and it I, maybe it doesn't surprise you chris because you cover the streaming beat but i was surprised at how many and not only how many movies hulu has available but how many good movies hulu has available because i really usually think of hulu as the place where i i just go to watch you know network television stuff yeah they're, they have a pretty good selection and like i said amazon prime uh, video especially has a, an excellent selection especially if you want like really obscure older stuff they have like a lot of like horror movies from like the 70s that no one else has so yeah it, it's uh, i feel like no one realizes this because for one thing amazon's interface is terrible i wish they would get it together and yeah. you know up their game there but i just feel like people are just so used to netflix kind of because they were they were the first to get there to you know become the popular streaming service. I just think everyone immediately associates them with streaming. But the fact is there are services out there that are better. I also wonder because Netflix tends to have newer movies. They don't really have any movies like earlier than 1985. If that affects their certified fresh rating rated movies, because Rotten Tomatoes uh, also doesn't quite go back that far either. And the newer films tend to have uh, higher uh, Rotten Tomatoes and uh, ratings in general. So, Maybe because Prime has a lot of older films that don't necessarily have all of those, the reviews required to create, get that certified fresh rating that possibly is affecting it as well. And Netflix's newer catalog as well. That is a really good point because, you know, certified fresh means that you need to have a tomatoes meter score of 75% or higher. But that also means that you need to have at least five reviews from top critics and have a minimum of 80 reviews if you're a wide release and 40 reviews if you're a limited release. So you could be right because a lot of like more older films have less reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and might not get that certified fresh rating. The, uh, the other thing that's kind of surprising to me here is I traditionally think of HBO, maybe because I grew up with HBO, and HBO was the place where you went to see movies. Like I thought HBO had a wide selection of movies on their service, 
But according to this, it has has only 815 movies available to stream. That's like one third of Hulu. And I can't even do the math of how like one twentieth of Prime Video. Like that's insane to me. Like I, 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 I for some reason thought there was a lot more there. And Chris, final verdict. If you had to only subscribe to one of these streaming services, one of these four, Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, or HBO, which one would it be? Oh, man, that's tough because I don't know. Because like I said, even though other things have better older stuff than Netflix, I do like some of the Netflix originals. So it's really hard. But if I, I guess if I had to pick one. I would probably pick Amazon Prime Video uh, and just because I do think they have a better selection of older films. But it's tough. I'm glad I don't have to make this decision. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. HD, which would you pick? I'm actually I'm leaning towards Amazon Prime Video, too. Oh, wow. Because they I think they have they have the A24, a lot of the A24 films, and they have much more films that are easier to find from other studios and other that aren't Netflix. Yeah. And I feel like I'm starting to sour to Netflix too, just because of how much they're pushing their original content. But it is kind of essential now to just like have a Netflix streaming account because they have so many yeah. things. See, I feel like like, you know, the things you mentioned, like the A24 movies, I'm going to see in theaters anyways. Mm. And what I want, a str- I, I guess what I want from a streaming service now, I guess I'm looking for less movies. I'm, I'm looking for more original content. And Amazon releases their movies in theaters, their original movies. And Netflix does not for the vast majority of their original movies. So I feel like if I had to decide one, it would be Netflix because of my purpose of subscribing is for original content and probably not the back catalog. But I'm wondering what which one I would subscribe to if I want, if it was about the back catalog. I guess it would have to be Prime Video. Yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, uh, actually, also today, they uh, it was announced that the Criterion channel is launching, what, in April, Chris? Is that uh, yes, a- April 8th. Yeah, so that's exciting. If, if, if you like older movies and, uh, you know, a more interesting selection of films, I'll link that in the show notes as well. Uh, Chris, now that you're back, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 HD, where can we find you? I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. What if they okay? So they're make, Warner Brothers is making this Hot Wheels movie, and they're making a Funko Pop movie. What if like the next movie in that that chain is the Funko Pop Hot Wheels movie, where the Funko Pops like break out of the house using the the Hot No. Oh God. <laughs> this, this is all just Toy Story. What? <laughs> well, have you seen the Secret Life of Pets? It's basically Toy Story. With, with pets, yeah. yeah, yeah. What they should do is they should make it like Mad Max, where it's it's after the apocalypse and the Hot Wheels roam the earth like tiny, tiny cars just driving along like burnt out wastelands. I would see that. That'd be kind of cool. And people keep stepping on them, like ah, who left these Hot Wheels here in the apocalypse? <laughs> but is, isn't that basically what the cars 
uh, universes. Like, like people theorize that it's kind of like that whole Pixar theory. Or yeah, but that's a theory. This would be blatant. Like, the the Hot Wheels would be driving over skeletons and stuff. So you, you would there'd be no <laughs> deniability that the world has ended. This movie is definitely not made for kids. It's made explicitly for Chris Evangelista in mind. Yes. Well, what's wrong with that? More movies for me, I say. <laughs> Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com Pandora. Save 20% at TommyJohn.com Pandora. See site for details. 